Okay, well, we are now uh, into our third part of our series, Heart to Heart. So uh, on the day when we are thanking people for serving in the life of the church, it made sense to talk about having a heart for ministry. And uh, this is a great uh, topic to look into. It's crucial in not only the life of the church, but in the life of the Christian. And I really want to open this up today to talk about what it means to serve uh, in ministry and mission in the world. Uh, Well-known church leader Rick Warren says this about service. He said, The world defines greatness in terms of power, possessions, prestige and position. Four things that the world defines greatness. Power, possessions, prestige and position. If you can demand service from others, you've arrived, according to the world view. It's in our me-first culture, acting like a servant is not a popular concept. Jesus, however, measured greatness in terms of service, not status. God determines your greatness by how many people you serve, not how many people serve you. This is so contrary to the world's idea of greatness that we have had a hard time understanding it ourselves, much less practising it. The disciples argued about who deserved the most prominent position and 2,000 years later, people still jockey for position and for prominence. Thousands of books have been written on leadership, but only a few on servanthood. Everyone wants to lead, but no one wants to be a servant. We would rather be generals than privates. Even Christians want to be servant leaders not just plain servants, but to be like Jesus is to be a servant. That's what he called himself. Wise words from uh, the man who has encouraged uh, a service movement in his church and beyond. And uh, I would like to refresh you as to where this fits into our scheme uh, in relation to this series. We're reaching the halfway mark today with a heart to serve and then moving on over our Christmas services and into the new year to complete our series. I want to talk about three things to start with about serving uh, that really define uh, what it means to be a servant. As you might expect, the Bible has a lot to say about it. It's the word servant. If you type that in, servant serving, uh, it comes up repeatedly. And of all of the uh, New Testament books, the Gospels, it's one of Luke's favourite topics. He loves to, to talk about what it means to be an authentic Christian, uh, how we should deal with our possessions, what it means to truly follow Jesus. Uh, and we're reading that Gospel during this month, so I thought I'd draw uh, on some of the examples that are in that Gospel. I've started off with the assertion that serving the Lord is our identity. And I wanted to use the declaration that Mary made when she was given the news that you are going to be pregnant, there's no man involved and uh, your child is going to be very special indeed. Now, I don't know about you, I don't know how many of you have been engaged uh, to be married but, and I'm not sure how many of you have been visited by an angel 
who has said, look, uh, we, we're going well, this guy's okay, but you're actually going to get pregnant before uh, you get married and uh, the kid's going to be pretty special. So we just need you to run with that program and uh, you know, just help save the world. Is that okay? Now, that's effectively what happened to Mary. And uh, we, in hindsight, think, well, of course she would have said yes, It's Jesus Christ, the Lord and Saviour of all the world. Why wouldn't you buy into that? But uh, it's interesting that that involved her um, basically uh, seeing her son uh, intensely criticised for the work that he was doing, as well as being appreciated, uh, and eventually crucified and killed by uh, the leaders of uh, the day uh, at age 33 which for a woman at that time to lose one of her sons, and from we understand, of course, it to be her oldest son, for her security in life, it was a, it was a disaster. So for Mary's earthly life, at the very least, the decision to flow with the will of God and say, yeah, that's fine, he's going to be this leader, he, you know, he's going to meet this trouble, you'd remember that she received a prophetic word not long after Jesus was born, that he was going to cause the rising and the falling of many people. And the prophet said, and a sword will pierce your heart. So, you know, there's all these promises. And Mary, I think, could have been tempted to just say, well, you know, I was hoping for a quiet life. I just hope he'd help out with a few jobs around the home, earn a good living, look after me when I get old. And she would have been tempted, I'm sure, as a young mum to say, mate, I don't know about this saviour business, Uh, we're just going to do something else a bit different. But right from the start, when she's presented with this news, Mary stands in front of the angel and says, I am the Lord's servant. And she is basically saying, I am here to do your will. I'm here to serve your purposes. I'm here for your good desire. And then to emphasise the Uh, point of it, she says, may your word to me be fulfilled. What you've proposed for me, even though it sounds difficult, hard, absurd, uncertain, unsure, I receive that and and I agree with that and accept it into my life because I am the Lord's servant. Right in the first chapter of Luke. And if we could Uh, spend the whole time and even just leave that up on the screen. We could just keep rereading it, ask the Holy Spirit to imprint that into our hearts. That would get us a long way to living a life of service. And it's great to look at that verse at this time of Christmas uh, and uh, to um, just be able to celebrate that decision that Mary made. So folks, if you uh, struggle with memory verses, uh, if you're not so good at... um, Uh, you know, memorizing lots of words. Try this one on for size. I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. I'm here to serve your purposes. I want to do your will. So Mary just identifies and says, I'm the Lord's servant. Now we're going to talk in a few moments about what a servant really meant at that time because it was a very humbling thing to call yourself. It was really to put yourself in a class of people that had no power, no possessions, no nothing, no status, were completely at the beck and call of their owner. So to call yourself a servant was very humbling indeed. 
It wasn't just like saying, yeah, I help out around the home. It, it was a real statement. And Mary says, that's who I am. That's my identity. So the invitation for us is to join in on that today. Now, the other thing that Luke alerts us to is that we are tempted to serve others, and that includes ourselves. Those of you who would remember that not long after Jesus was baptised as a 30-year-old at the start of his ministry, uh, he then um, is drawn, it says he's forced out into the desert by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by Satan. And it's as if Jesus, having been baptised, God spoke over him in his baptism, his ministry awaits. It's as if a few things have got to be sorted out before Jesus is going to stand for people and start outworking uh, miracles. That he needs to go through a test where the question is asked, what type of saviour are you going to be? What type of uh, minister are you going to be? How are you going to do things? And Satan offers him basically a number of shortcuts to success. Lays out a few different options and one of them is quite bold where he simply says if you worship me and serve me then I'll, I'll, I'll get you what you want you can have all the kingdoms of the world and Jesus bats back with uh, um, a quote from the Old Testament and says worship the Lord your God and serve him only and again if you're into memory verses or remembering phrases try serve him only Just see if you can hang on to that one. Serve him only. Because folks, in the society that we live in, we uh, are embedded in a culture which the idea of serving anyone and much less serving God is foreign. It's, It's not the spirit of the world. But yet the Holy Spirit that's within us through the word of God is drawing us to do exactly that. Yet we come up with and against all of these different types of situations where the temptation is to say, this is a priority, I'm going to put my time and my energy into this. And often, if you read Digest Media, so much of advertising revolves around you serving you. You laying up stuff for yourself. You engineering a life for yourself. You creating a a, a persona or whatever or a comfort system around you. And it's absolutely insidious, it's incessant and we need to declare over ourselves and over each other, serve him only on a regular basis. We need to uh, put that uh, right in front of us and say that's our identity, that's who we are. So Not only are we the Lord's servants, we need to be aware that there's a temptation to do something else. It's there in front of us all the time. There's a temptation to serve others, to serve uh, what you might call other values, and it includes, they're often directed around ourselves. And that, that, um, that desire or that temptation to prefer ourselves, to excuse ourselves, to lavish upon ourselves, it's so challenging, it's so difficult to resist giving into that. Yet, if we are going to be servants, we must make that decision. So, we must 
choose God overall, including ourselves. Jesus identified in this occasion in Luke that there was a choice to be made because no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now when we look at this scripture, perhaps one question that occurs is, how do you serve money? Like, what does that look like? Has anyone here got a money statue in their home? <laughs> is, is there a little, uh, what would you have, uh, Richie Rich? Uh, on your, uh, anyone remember Richie Rich? Is that, a, that's, what's that, Carol? Is that ageing us? 50 and over? It was a comic character when I was a little fella. Um, who else would you have up there? Who else represents money in our modern day society? Perhaps a rep- Little uh, computer screen with a Dow Jones on it. I don't know. We don't have that on our, at our home. No one's got a money statue. No one's got a money idol at their home that they're praying to and believing to. Yet Jesus talks about serving money. What does that look like? Bible.org offered this a suggestion. When we serve money, we are really serving ourselves and our own desires for what we think money will purchase, like significance, power, pleasure, security or status. Money is not evil and having it is not evil, but if it becomes our master, it controls our values, priorities and pursuits rather than God and that is evil. So what that particular website is trying to say is that uh, serving money basically means that we dedicate our efforts to using money to create Significance. So we might think, well, the more I have of it, it gets me to here, it gives me an identity, I'm going to put time into that. Or power, uh, because I've got lots of money, maybe I can employ lots of people or uh, have lots of servants or whatever, so I get influence that way. Pleasure, I can put effort into getting money so that whenever I want to, I can go wherever I want and do whatever I want because I can have that experience. I can, I can pleasure myself whenever I like in that respect. Security, I've got lots of money so I don't have to worry about this happening or that happening or whatever. I'm going to put my time into that or status, which of course is similar to significance. I'm going to have this position in society by collecting money. Now, you might think, well, hang on, you're talking about, like, I'm, anyway, no, I won't say that name. Let me start that sentence again. You're talking about people other than us. We wouldn't do that. We don't have those things. But yet the temptation is there for all of us because we all tend to gravitate to that kind of stuff because of our flesh nature that we inherit. But the Holy Spirit inside of us is dedicated to serving the purposes of God. So we're involved in a challenge and a fight on every occasion. And we have to resist the temptation that comes when we say, well, if I serve God in this way, I can't earn this money. If I serve God in this way, I can't accumulate uh, this money. If I serve God in this way, I can't have these pleasure experiences. If I serve God in this way, people will think I'm a joke because I'm not at this or I'm not doing that or I don't have that position or role anymore. So 
That's the temptation we face when it comes to a life of service. All these things are sitting over here and generally, in fact, according to the scripture, they do involve a choice. And you can't have both. Because in the end you start preferring one, the other gets sidelined and Jesus uses the words love and hate. How could we ever think about hating God when it comes to choosing between service? So when it comes to money, there's a choice to be made and we simply must make it on behalf of our Lord God. Finally, drawing on Luke, service must support relationship, not usurp it. We see here this well-known encounter when Martha is running around getting ready for Jesus and his disciples who have arrived and then her sister Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet listening and being taught and she goes in and complains that Mary's not helping and Jesus answers, says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, are needed indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and will not be taken away from her. So service, we can never say, well, look, I'm doing all of this. I'm excused from relationship and time with Jesus. I'm excused from relationship and time with others. We cannot say that. And that's the other side of service when we say, well, you know, we're putting it up there, we're doing it, Uh, you know, I don't need to worry about this other stuff, but that's not true either. Many people identify that Jesus was not only saying uh, that while he is here with them, choosing to be in his presence is a good idea, but was actually affirming that women could be disciples too. And Mary was sitting in a place where traditionally men would sit And Martha was sort of saying, although she didn't use these words, send my sister back to where she belongs. And Jesus said, no, she she can sit at my feet and learn and be my disciple. And she will have that privilege and it won't be taken away from her. So there's three observations about service. Okay, three good reasons to serve. We're heading towards a time of communion in a few moments, so we need to keep stacking, stepping through these. Three good reasons to serve. There are bad reasons to serve and there are good reasons to serve. These are the good ones. Firstly, serve as an act of worship. Romans 12 verse 1 is the famous statement that we have. Uh, Paul spends the first 11 chapters unpacking the goodness of God demonstrated through the history of humanity that culminates in the coming of Jesus Christ to save the whole world. And he says, Therefore, in light of that mercy, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Were you aware, church, that worship is more than singing and listening. Often we say, I'm going to worship. I'm going to the worship service. What do you do there? I sing and I listen to a sermon. Really, is that all? Yes. Why, are you just a, why aren't you just ahead? I mean, if that's all that worship is, we can just be Christian heads together. We could get ourselves loaded into a trailer, delivered to church. We can sing and we can listen 
and we're worshipping. We don't need arms, we don't need a body, we don't need a heart, we don't need feet, if that were the case. Church, I present to you the word of God. Paul seems to think that worship involves all of our body, not just our mouth and our ears. So how is worship happening for you, brothers and sisters, in relation to your whole body? It's a challenge, isn't it? And it's not just Sundays either. There's no mention of that. But there's the totality and the whole of life that's involved in this surrender and this sacrifice. It's a challenge to all of us. So we need to serve in something beyond listening and singing in order to fulfil that scripture, in order for our worship to be, as Paul says, true and proper, it must involve some form of service. It has to. Otherwise, that scripture just doesn't work. So serve as an act of worship. That's one good reason to do it. Second, serve as an act of gratitude. Ephesians chapter 2 says, For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. In other words, we don't serve to get saved. We serve because we're saved, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus. Why? To listen to as many sermons as we can cram into one lifetime and to sing magnificent songs of worship. That's what it says. I saw it. Oh, hang on. That's not in there. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. We were saved to serve. And when we serve... We express our gratitude for the salvation that we did not and could never earn and we express our gratitude. I don't know uh, if you hear me sometimes but I try to walk around and perhaps I look a bit silly and just say thank you Jesus whenever I'm doing something and I try to say this is an act of worship. Thank you Jesus. Thank you Jesus. Thank you Jesus. When I breathe sometimes I say thank you Jesus. And my wife and my daughter think, is he okay? Does he need something? Is he all right? And I just, sometimes I just think, Lord, the fact that I'm still standing is a, is a gift from you, from all the challenges, all the risks, all the threats. The fact that I'm still here, thank you, Jesus. And so, folks, we can get involved, just the simplest of stuff. I think it was Brother Lawrence who used to talk about meditating while washing the dishes. Just the act of serving is an act of gratitude. So I encourage you, church, serve as an act of worship, serve as an act of gratitude. And I've got to give credit to the last one for Jude. We're comparing notes last night. She said, serve to be helpful, just to help. I thought, well, that's pretty basic. Then I found it in the Bible, so I kept going with it. (laughs) How about that? My wife knows a bit of the scripture. Thank you, Jesus. There you go again, love. Thank you, Jesus, from a wife. God is not unjust. That's good news. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. Friends, that's an encouragement to help his people, but I love the promise. When you're feeling tired, when you're feeling deflated, 
when you're not sure if you can continue to serve, when you're unsure about the energy levels or the demands or whatever. This beautiful promise that God is unjust. God sees what you're doing. He will remember it in some way and acknowledge it. You will receive that blessing. It's a wonderful promise. And then 1 Peter 4, equally as straightforward, each of you should, should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. Why? As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various form. Everyone has a gift of service to give. Everyone's got something to offer and to contribute. If we don't offer that gift at that point, when we arrive on Sunday or in some other expression of church life, we are at that point consumers. So we are called to offer that service back to God, to, be, to worship, to be, gratitude, to be grateful and to be helpful. Now here's three bad reasons to serve. And then we're going to wrap this up and share in the Lord's Supper together. Firstly, serving for recognition or fulfilment. Jesus, on this particular occasion in Luke, he was starting to get a bad vibe about his disciples. Because they're starting to ask all kinds of questions about what are we going to get out of this? Can we get this? What's in it for us? And there was a sense also of a bit of congratulation in the group, you know, well, we we're the 12, you know, mate. There's you and there's us. We're right up the top. We're right there. And he sensed within them that it was time for a correction. They felt like they were developing a claim on the Father because of what they were doing. A sense of entitlement was creeping into their service. And Jesus gave them a mini parable. He says, suppose one of you has a servant ploughing or looking after the sheep Will he say to the servant when he comes in from there, come along now and sit down and eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink, and after that you may eat and drink? Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Now, folks, if you're anything like me, and I'm assuming we've got something in common because we're all human beings, but when we read that, I can't think of a single person who doesn't cringe when they see that. Oh, we are unworthy servants. No, we're good servants. We're lovely, wonderful servants. And you love us because of what we're doing and all kinds of thoughts. But Jesus is saying, he's God. You're his servants. We outwork his will. We are doing our duty as his disciples. But sometimes we outwork that duty and we say, <laughs> Where's the, who's clapping? <laughs> Recognise me, benefit me, uh, uh, look after me or, or give me this or whatever. And we're looking for something else in service. Our, our motives get wrong at that point. It's about recognition or it's about our fulfilment. And the object of our service, which is God and others, gets put into our service so that we feel we have meaning and we get recognised. And the table's turned. You've heard me say before here that servants in biblical times had a very particular role. 
Servants did the most menial tasks. Faithfulness in this area came way before they might be promoted to serve in an area of gifting. Servants were rarely, if ever, acknowledged and never thanked. Servants were told what to do by their master and expected to obey without comment. Servants were expected to do what they were told until they were given a command to stop. If a servant offered their service and they were declined, they wouldn't have expected an explanation. Servants met the needs of their master, not their own. They relied on their master to provide for their needs. Servants couldn't take the day off whenever they wanted and decide to be somewhere else. And they didn't retire and they didn't get paid. So often we say, I you know, want to have a servant heart or I'm just a servant-hearted person or something like that. But folks, the implications of that are significant. It really does mean something to be God's servant. On the issue of serving for fulfilment, Lawrence Crabb said this, Many of us place top priority on, not on becoming Christ-like in the middle of our problems, but on finding happiness. I want to be happy, but the paradoxical truth is that I will never be happy if I'm concerned primarily about becoming happy. <laughs> That's a shame. My overriding goal must be in every circumstance to respond biblically, to put the Lord first, to seek to behave as he would want me to, The wonderful truth is that as we devote all of our energies to the task of becoming what Christ wants us to be, he fills us with joy, unspeakable, and a peace far surpassing what the world offers. So that's the way to go. Secondly, serving out of compulsion. Be shepherds of God's flock. This is to... uh, this is Peter speaking to his, the leaders of the church that he's writing to that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Philippians is more succinct. Do everything without grumbling or arguing everything, including serving. And finally, serve without commi- serving without commitment or conviction. Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plough and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. The implication is that once we give our yes, once we commit ourselves, once we make our decision and start to move forward, to look back at what we've left behind or or to the side at what we might have, just renders us unfit for service. It destroys us. It eats away at us. And if you think about ploughing, Well, you're not going to go straight if you're looking back. It's forward, having grabbed those things and taken hold of those. It's moving forward. So Jesus doesn't let us off the hook with that and gives us a challenge. Friends, uh, as uh, as I looked at the PowerPoint that we prepared today with a list of everyone that serves in our church... um, It was really exciting. I was counting the names because we had to work out how many coffee vouchers to produce so that everyone gets a free coffee from Rory, who I trust is outside now. It'd be a shame if he didn't make it. Um, And then as I went through the pages, I started to think, I started counting less and less names and I realised I was starting to see a lot of names repeated time and time again. 
on the thing. And, and at, by the time I got the end, it was almost like some people were on there twice, two times, three times, four times, five times. And I guess in one sense that's really encouraging. But I also realised that there were a lot, of, a lot of names that weren't on that list at all. And as I thought, I thought we, we either need to get enthusiastic and encouraging and um, proclaim the importance of serving, either with what we've already got, or, mate, we need some more ministries pretty urgently. Because we really need to see our church be a serving tsunami. Because to not engage in service in some form, not only here but out in the community as well, is really not to complete or perfect our worship. It's, it's to hold something back from our sacrifice towards Jesus. I just wrote down here quickly, we need more helpers in connect group lead. We need more connect groups. Facilities needs more help. Worship and technology could do with more help. Every ministry could. Guest greeting and follow-up. Administration. And then we've got untapped areas. These are just two that came to mind. Outreach and community engagement. And Sunday teens is a, a need that is going to explode in the life of our church in the coming years. That's just... I just wrote them down this morning. Um... So the demand is there, folks. The need is there. Jesus himself said, don't pray for the harvest, pray for the workers to raise the harvest, to to do the harvest. The the need is there. We don't have to pray for people to accept Jesus as it were. He says, just pray for the people to come forward to reap that harvest. Rick Warren concluded, as I wrap this up, uh, with these comments after I read, he followed on with this from what I said earlier. He said, while knowing your shape is important for serving God, having the heart of a servant is even more important. Remember, God shaped you for service, not for self-centeredness. Without a servant's heart, you'll be tempted to misuse your shape for personal gain. You'll also be tempted to use it as an excuse to exempt yourself from meeting some needs. God often tests our hearts by asking us to serve in ways which we're not shaped for. If you see a man fall into a ditch, God expects you to help him, not say, I don't have the gift of mercy or service. You'll have to wait for someone. While you may not be gifted for a particular task, you may be called to do it if no one who is gifted at it is around. Your primary ministry should be in the area of your shape, but your secondary service is wherever you're needed at that moment. Your shape reveals your ministry, but your servant's heart will reveal your maturity. Ouch. No special talent or gift is required to stay after a meeting to pick up rubbish or stack chairs. Anyone can be a servant. All it requires is character. Ouch. It is possible to serve in church for a lifetime without ever being a servant. You must have a servant's heart. We're going to close today with our ultimate example of service and it's entirely appropriate that we follow this uh, with communion which is the... um, service that we perform to remember what Jesus did in serving us. 
It says in Luke 22, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Can you imagine debating that among a group of friends? Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. Friends, the Lord and the Saviour of all the earth chose willingly to go to his death at age 33 to bear the sin of the world. I know that when you and I think about our life, none of us thinks about choosing that. In fairness, and I'm putting my hand up for that. But Jesus knew what was required of him. He followed in the steps of his Lord. He did not prefer himself, but instead for our sake said, I will go down that path. When we look at what Jesus did, church, there's probably nothing, no, there is nothing that we can say, oh, well, maybe not. It really covers the lot. So let's just bow our heads and close our eyes as we prepare to acknowledge that and share communion together. Father, we thank you again, even though at times it's difficult to hear the challenge that has come to all of us today when it comes to service. Lord, we do thank you for those that serve you and make themselves available, who declare as an act of worship their willingness to meet needs of a wide variety. Father, this church would not be here without that act of sacrifice. But Lord, we also acknowledge that at times being a servant is hard. It's difficult. We are tempted not to do it. We sometimes fantasise and think about other options, Lord. And today we confess that before you and say, Father, forgive us for the times when we have not served as we ought to have. And Lord, we want to also acknowledge today that you served like no other. No one has ever done what you did when it came to laying down your life as a young man so that the world would be free from sin which we sing about with joy every Christmas, Lord. Yet, Father, help us to live the reality of the appropriate response to that service. Father, we thank you for the fact that you were willing to serve us. We thank you for the fact that Jesus laid down his life so that we could experience the joy of what it means to worship you. When we say, Lord, this Christmas, this year, Help us to reflect on our service, to reflect on your service and then to make a plan as next year approaches to make it one of service where we change our plans, where we resist temptations and we say, Lord, I'm going to prioritise these things as an act of worship and gratitude to you and to simply help others, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask our ushers now to start giving out the uh, communion items.
and I invite everyone to take part in that today. For those of you who are new to the Hills Christian Family Centre today, it's our practice here to invite everyone to take part in communion or the Lord's Supper. What we give out is simply a small piece of biscuit, a small cup of uh, fruit juice that are meant to represent the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you would like to respond to him and respect him uh, and uh, uh, acknowledge him, uh, then I uh, encourage you and, and invite you to take these emblems this morning. Because we do this on a regular basis, on a monthly basis here at our church. And we make this a time when we acknowledge the fact that Jesus' service involved his death. Jesus' service involved more than his words, but his blood and his body. So church, as you receive these items today, as the team plays, I just want you to take both of them and hold them. We're going to eat and drink together. And I want you to think about the service that Jesus rendered. invite you to stand to your feet. <clears throat> Jesus came as a baby at Christmas time, but he died as a man at Easter time. His sacrifice was real, but I'm so glad that he made that decision to serve us in this way. 
The good news is that Jesus rose from the dead, that his decision was honoured by his Father. And as we make the same decision to serve in the way that he did, God also honours us. God raises us up from the dead. So I just want you to be encouraged by that. In fact, I want to lead us again in a prayer of thanks for these emblems. Lord, I thank you for your sacrifice. Lord, I thank you for what these humble things represent. The Son of God and Saviour of all the world dying for us. Lord, even as we eat them, may we ingest a spirit of service. May we take into our heart what it means to be servants and sacrifices for you and for others. Lord, we say it often, but today, out of gratitude and worship, we say it again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for serving us and saving us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.